This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The next step in building relations between the United States and Cuba was the opening of embassies for the U.S. on the island nation and vice versa. We still don't know when all of the restrictions will be pushed aside, but this move is certainly an important one for that uh, the thaw that had been in place for the last 50 years or so. To take a look at uh, the move to open these embassies and what is next, we're joined by our friend Fakiri Diaz-Cala, president and CEO of Tremar Group, as well as Gustavo Arvanad, who is a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Gustavo also is a former Obama administration official. Fakiri, great to talk to you again. Gustavo, thanks for coming on today. Thank you. Good morning. Same here. Great to have you both. Good morning. Uh, a question to both of you. Fakiri, I'll start with you. Uh, both embassies were important to have them open, but... Did one or the other opening have a little bit maybe more significance? Well, I think that the fact that the Cubans allowed uh, the U.S. Embassy to be open and to be opened uh, to the level that the Americans had requested, which was with not that many restrictions, uh, with enough embassy personnel and so forth, um, I think is, is a significant move. Um, the fact that the U.S., uh, now is able to have um, someone in charge at the Cuban embassy in Washington, D.C., who's not uh, been named ambassador, but yet uh, has that ambassadorial rank uh, from the very beginning, Ambassador Cabanas, Mm -hmm. uh, is extremely significant as well. Gustavo? Yeah, so in some ways, there's a lot of symbolism. Um, You know, to be sure, each country had uh, a building, um, in the other country. It was called an intersection until um, Monday of, uh, of this week, and there was someone always in charge. Um, however, upgrading these facilities to embassies allows for a, more, a, a normal diplomatic relationship. Uh, and to be sure, there are still great differences between our two countries, mm-hmm. uh, but this will, enable, uh, this, this will enable the heads uh, of, those, uh, of the embassies uh, and their personnel uh, to engage with uh, with uh, people in the U.S. government, in the case of the Cubans, or the Cuban government, in the case of the of the, of the U.S. personnel, uh, and, uh, and and therefore will give greater access to people in those governments and be able to uh, begin uh, or can, uh, a, a dialogue that really has been missing for many many years and try to figure out how we can address those uh, those uh, differences and those challenges over the medium to long term. It seems like, gentlemen, that that, uh, we are getting to a process now where we're going to start to see things pop up almost on a weekly basis, maybe even in some cases a daily basis, new aspects to this relationship. And and I want to bring up an article that's in the Wall Street Journal today uh, about Stonegate Bank, which is based down in Florida, uh, setting up a deal with uh, Banco Internacional de Comercio down in Cuba for a correspondent account. Uh, this is the first one uh, uh, of these types of accounts, correct, that, I, that I'm understanding? That's right. That's correct. So how important is, is a move like this to, to get this type of a relationship started? Well, I think it's very important. Uh, you know, clearly, uh, at least one U.S. bank uh, has been able to uh, enter into this, this corresponding relationship with a Cuban bank. This is something that was made, you know, that was allowed by the changes uh, in, in OFAC rules at the beginning of the year. 
Uh, I think a number of U.S. banks have been looking to see how they could do this, and so it's very useful that one has done it. I think this will enable others uh, to continue to press to the same thing, and this will, of course, allow for greater business and commerce to take place between uh, two, uh, between the two countries, uh, as opposed to uh, trying to do payment payments through third countries, which is currently the way uh, the payments uh, work. Yeah, Fakiri, that feels like that that we are going to see more and more of these types of accounts open up, and uh, we're going to see business, uh, uh, you know, get get going maybe a little bit quicker than some people expected. Absolutely. The the bigger deal as well here uh, is that this should pave the way for American credit cards to actually be able to be used uh, in Cuba. So if you remember when we spoke previously, uh, MasterCard had said March 31st we'll be in Cuba. American Express had said we'll be in Cuba. Uh, The reality is that those bigger companies have moved very, very slowly. And the reason that they give is that they do not have a local corresponding bank relationship in the island where the deposits of the credit cards would be made Mm -hmm. in order to pay the merchants that run those credit cards. Uh, This will now move and pave the way for what's called a gateway company to actually ring the credit card and then pay Stonegate, and Stonegate in turn deposits the dollars into uh, the bank in Havana in their account, and then they're distributed to the merchants that uh, basically allow those charges to go through. Uh, I believe that that's the real reason for this bank account and yeah. what's coming next is American credit cards being able to be rung up in Cuba. Do you think, Gustavo, have, having worked at the White House in the past, do you think that there that there is some sort of a, a schedule already set in place, you know, as long as things develop in a normal pace, that we will see more and more of these happen, uh, these type of events happen on an almost like a set schedule over the next few months? Yeah, I don't think there's a set schedule. Certainly there are objectives that that the president wants to achieve uh, before he leaves office. Um, What happened on Monday in the opening of the the embassies is is really the the culmination of of the first phase uh, of uh, the negotiations that have been going on now with the Cubans for about a couple of years, and that was the reestablishment of formal diplomatic relations. There are a number of other areas that are being um, negotiated, will be, continue to be uh, negotiated, including property claims on the part of U.S. companies. Uh, the Cubans themselves have claims against uh, the United States in connection with uh, damage that they claim has been done by the U.S. embargo. Um, I think the United States also wants to continue to promote uh, commercial uh, exchange and uh, commercial linkages to the extent that the president can do so uh, w- you know, without the full embargo being uh, lifted. I think he will try to, to do that. Uh, but also, you know, the United States uh, can only do so much. Uh, the Cubans also have to respond. And I think the Cubans are looking at their options. They're trying to see in this new environment mm-hmm. uh, what changes they have to make in order to open up uh, their economy. It's interesting because we do see these little pieces happen from time to time. We did a, a, a segment on the show probably about, what, about three weeks ago, Patty, I guess it was, where uh, we talked with representatives from how the sports world is really playing into this new relationship as well. Uh, the New York Cosmos minor league soccer team went down and had an exhibition match in Cuba. Uh, the Princeton University track team went down there for a trip. So we're, we see these little pieces develop, and I, I guess that's what we're going to see more and more of the, these, I don't want to say dribs and drabs, but it, it you know it, it's a piece at a time at this point. 
Yeah, I think as, you know, as Americans begin to feel more comfortable, as U.S. business begin to feel more comfortable with the, uh, the passage of time, they see that other companies are going in, sports teams are going there, uh, universities are, are one have professors going to research there, et cetera. And then to, you know, to be sure, a lot of this has gone on in the past. But the more that this is seen uh, as something that's positive, uh, I think the, the more you know, there'll, there'll be a, uh, uh, sort of the floodgates will open at some point, I think, and more and more people want to go. And, and Fakir, I want to get your comment also. There's a couple of reports out there today as well um, uh, about the possibility that the president uh, may very well visit Cuba uh, come the, the beginning part of next year, uh, which obviously would be a, a big piece of this as well. Yeah, there had been two uh, reports to that effect. Uh, the White House had a, had a meeting uh, with the general press, uh, it was asked, you know, would Obama visit Cuba? Um, and the White House uh, representative said, you know, Obama would love to visit Cuba if the conditions are right. Um, last night, a couple of newspapers uh, have been publishing reports uh, that the administration is considering a visit uh, in the beginning of the year, and in January that will be evaluated. As part of the legacy building that we have discussed in the past, um, Obama would need to visit Cuba before leaving office to kind of seal what he began, right? Mm -hmm. um, These negotiations by then would have been three years old or, or maybe even a little bit, little bit longer. Uh, the culmination would be a visit of Obama uh, to Cuba, and it would be one of those Berlin Wall moments. Um, the twist, I think, would be that Obama would then make a call uh, for the lifting of the embargo. Yeah. Um, which would be and, even more interesting, and that's and that still is kind of the 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 gorilla in the room uh, to to use that old old term is that we still have to have that 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 push by Congress to want to lift the embargo to really get this going, correct? Yeah, that's that's right. The embargo is still uh, firmly in place. Uh, there are a number of uh, you know the couple of bills making their way through through the Congress, the Senate in particular, uh, one of them would deal with the travel portion of the embargo in order to allow Americans uh, to travel uh, as tourists, which currently is, um, is prohibited. Uh, and the other one is one that attacks the embargo uh, you know, comprehensively. Um, but that's going to be, I think, a very hard uh, push, uh, particularly you know, next year being uh, an election year. We are joined uh, on the phone by Fakiri Diaz, Cala President and CEO of Tremar Group, also Gustavo Arvanant, who is a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And as we mentioned, he uh, worked in the Obama White House. Uh, Gustavo, John Kerry is set to go to Cuba next month, from what I'm reading, uh, to really commemorate the opening of the, or I should say reopening of the embassy down in Havana. Uh that, I guess, is another one of these steps that, that is important to the process. We talked about the president possibly going down there, but you know, to, in order to get that done, John Kerry probably has to go there first. Yeah, that's right. And so and the date that we've heard is uh, August 14th. Um, and so he will go down there just as uh, Bruno Rodriguez, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Cuba, uh, was in Havana uh, this week. Uh, and uh, he will preside over a formal ceremony. Uh, the flag will be uh, hoisted up. Uh, John Kerry will go and, and, and visit with, with uh, Minister Rodriguez, um, and um, I, I don't expect it to be uh, a very lengthy stay on the part mm -hmm. of the, the secretary. But I think, but it is an important uh, and necessary step uh, for him to to take. But could there potentially be a meeting with uh, with the Castros uh, if he goes down there in August, or would that be put off? Is it is it not the right time? Hmm. 
that's a good question. I suppose anything is possible. The only catch there is that the protocol would likely indicate that, that Kerry meets with his counterpart the same way that uh, Bruno met with his counterpart okay. uh, here in the U.S., well, that would be very interesting to see if that if that would happen because uh, I, I think we get the sense uh, that at this point, Fakiri, that uh, any type of meeting between uh, the Castro government and uh, members high up in in the United States government would really almost put that that final stamp on it at this point. Well, I mean, the, the president, of course, uh, did meet with uh, Raul Castro uh, in April yep. at the Summit of the, of the Americas. Uh, and Fikini's right. I mean, there is a, a protocol. Um, I would add that, you know, if, if there's any, and, and therefore any deviation from that protocol, in other words, if uh, John Kerry were to meet with either Raul or certainly Fidel Castro, that would signify um, that, would signify that uh, of course, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Castros uh, would look at this trip as extremely significant. Yep. Um, so. Well, I guess we have to to wait and see how that uh, how that all plays out. Uh, in terms of, of the the embassies actually being open, uh, the, some of the stories that were written talked about, I guess, uh, lines of people uh, looking to meet with U.S. officials. Is that correct? How how I read that, for, for Gary? No, that's correct. Uh, the the embassy and the intersection um, has been very busy from the very beginning, uh, and it's always had lines of people. Uh, I was actually looking at some Twitter uh, feeds from the deputy chief of mission, uh, Conrad Gribble, who actually uh, was leaving yesterday. Um, and he has always been very well loved by the Cuban people. He actually had the Cubans come in, uh, a number of them, and visit with him uh, as a goodbye. Um, the reality is, even when it was an intersection, there is immigration from Cuba to the U.S. that is legal, that it's 20,000 uh, people permanent immigration a year. Mm -hmm. There are a number of Cubans who go to that uh, site every day um, to get tourist visas to come and visit uh, their family here in the U.S. Uh, what's different now is that the Cubans agreed to uh, lessen the uh, overt political presence that they had where they had quite a bit of security apparatus around the embassy where they would check people before they would come in. Um, that has now been toned down, um, and the pictures I'm seeing has less uniform armed guards around. How far, Gustavo, do you think we are from, from full relations? Is, is this something that possibly could happen uh, in the time left that, that President Obama has as, as the President of the United States, or will the, do you think this carry over to, uh, to the next president? You know, realistically, I think it's going to carry over. Um, you, you, it's, uh, it's impossible to have full normal relations while the embargo is in place. Uh, no countries can have normal relationships uh, while one country um, has uh, prohibitions uh, against, you know, against a full and robust uh, trade. Um, and I just don't see that happening uh, before the president uh, leaves office. So I think it necessarily will carry over into the next, uh, into the next president. Fikiri, you agree with that? I agree with that. However, I would say that there's a number of executive actions that this president will be uh, forthcoming with. Um, that would put different holes into the embargo and to what is available uh, for both American business um, and the American people to engage in this people-to-people -people, um, engagement with the Cubans. What do you see? So as, I was going to say, what do you see as those those big spots right now? The travel, um, making changes to the travel. The the travel today is quite simple. Yeah. I'm going to Havana, for example, Saturday. 
I'm going to Havana for a tech event, and I'm flying in at 8 in the morning from Miami, and I'm flying back at 11 o'clock uh, Sunday. So I'm going Saturday, I'm flying back Sunday. The reality is today you have charter flights out of a number of U.S. cities that could become regular scheduled flights. Those charter flights are set the same day at the same time out of the same gate, mm-hmm. but they're just non-scheduled, so it's a technicality. Um, the fact that there are 12 categories where you check a box and you self-select what you're going for, um, the administration could engage in easing those 12 categories further. Uh, I think we've seen reports in the press that that is coming. Um, and then the question becomes, would tourism open up to travel to Cuba? If we think that Stonegate and the Cuban government are moving towards accepting credit cards, if we look at Airbnb, and this week I'm actually booked on an Airbnb, Airbnb decided to provide a week of free staying in Cuba to celebrate the opening of the embassy. You basically have all of things being put into play for then having American tourists visit Cuba and engage with the Cuban people in a people-to-people exchange without having those 12 rules that today guide the process. I think I need to take a week vacation next week and, and you know make it a business trip. We'll do the show from Cuba next week just so I can get the free Air, Airbnb. That's, Absolutely. That's not, that's not a bad deal. But I guess then it, it, as, as we go for, forward and, and tourism obviously being a, a, a fairly important piece to this, uh, how, how important then are, are potentially the airlines uh, in, this, in this whole mix? Well, there's no question that there's a great deal of demand on the part of the airlines. And American Airlines, JetBlue, they have been uh, down there. JetBlue recently announced uh, service between uh, Kennedy Airport and Havana, however, through the charter uh, protocol yep. that uh, Fakidi uh, described. Uh, the State Department um, you know, is looking at, um, at allowing for, uh, f- you know, for individual uh, travel um, that would be consistent with the 12 categories, unless additional categories, of course, are, are announced. Um, but, but still, tourism per se, um, you know, one, I suppose, can try to check off a box and say, yes, I'm going to a conference, and then instead go to the beach. But that would be illegal sure. currently yeah. under U.S. law. What would, the, what would the penalties be, I guess, at this point, uh, if, you, if you were doing something like that? Well, there are, you know, there are civil fines and, and criminal penalties. We're joined on the phone by uh, Gustavo Arvanat, uh, Senior Advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, also Fakiri Diaz-Cala, who is President and CEO of Tremar Group. At, at this point, uh, Fakiri, what's the most important thing for the Cuban government to get pushed forward? Uh, it, uh, the embargo is still obviously a big piece to it, but there are probably other pieces right now that uh, are, are more realistic for them to uh, expect to see go by the boards. Absolutely. The Cuban government needs dollars, and they need dollars flowing into their economy because Venezuela, as we all know, has been very much affected with both their own civil strife and the downturn uh, of the price of oil. Um, And Cuba today needs to begin relying on a new trade partner, on a new partner that can provide the capital that the economy needs. To that end, the first thing the Cuban government needs is a relaxing of travel restrictions in order to have American tourists come and spend their dollars Mm -hmm. in the island. 
And the second is access to the international financial and monetary markets. Um, there has been a number of pieces. Uh, the Adrian R. Center um, at the Atlantic uh, Council has published a great piece of Cuba accessing the uh, international financial institutions. Uh, the Cuban government has hired, uh, as reported in the press last Friday, Dominique Strauss-Kahn to begin negotiations uh, with the Paris Club on their debt. So what we were beginning to see is movement to joining the international uh, financial uh, system. Um, the CAF, uh, and uh, Gustavo can speak to that more, a multilateral organization actually was in Havana, put out a press release, said that they're ready to provide lines of credit. Um, so those are the two things that the Cuban economy needs, uh, and I think those are the two priorities that the Cuban government will work towards. Gustavo? Yeah, there's no question that uh, the Cubans need access to international uh, capital. Um, ideally, uh, they would have access to be members of a multilateral organization such as the World Bank, the IMF, the IDB, etc., um, any of those organizations where the U.S. is currently a shareholder, uh, such as the World Bank, the IMF, uh, the IDB, uh, because of uh, the embargo, uh, it's very difficult uh, for, for Cuba to have access to, uh, to, to those uh, organizations. Um, uh, however, uh, the CAF uh, has been, has been uh, looking at the opportunities presented by, by Cuba. Uh, the president of the CAF in particular, I know, has been uh, very much engaged, has been to Cuba, uh, and uh, I, I see, uh, I see that you know, Cuba joining the CAF, if not this year, then certainly uh, next year. But having the access to uh, said funds, what then? What becomes then the first piece of investment that that Cuba will really make? Gustavo. Well, Cuba has tremendous uh, needs on the infrastructure side and energy. Um, you know, and, you know, any any kind of. Uh, investment that's needed for the economy to really enter the, the 21st century. Uh, so the Cuban officials will have to decide and prioritize. Um, you know, what are the what are the uh, you know, what are the areas of investment, uh, and then work with uh, their lenders. In the case of the CAF, they'll have to come up with a strategy and a, and a, and a lending program uh, that will uh, you know that will meet those needs. What do you think, in your mind, is probably the most uh, the greatest need right now for for Cuba in that realm? This, uh, well, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, housing, for example, uh, the housing stock in, in Cuba, I think, is highly uh, deficient. Uh, and I would, you know, I would imagine that's uh, an area of, of opportunity uh, in order to improve the lives of the, of the Cuban people. Fakiri, where, where do you think is the most important need? I actually think it's infrastructure in order to receive tourism, in order to receive dollars. Um, and that would probably take precedent over uh, anything else. Uh, modernizing telecom is also important because at the end of the day, American tourists would expect to have access to the internet, mm -hmm. would expect to be able to have some roaming on their mobile phones, um, and the Cuban system today is not able to handle that. Uh, and if you look at the relaxing and the easing that the U.S. administration Telecom has been one of those priorities, which I think has been a joint decision between both the Cuban and the American government. 
uh, that that's needed. But still to get to that point, we're, we're still talking about a, a, a decent amount of time. Once you get those type of operations underway, you know, to be able to fix the infrastructure to allow tourism and be able to set up uh, the wireless network, that probably takes a little less time than the infrastructure itself. But still, we're, we're still talking about, you know, several months to be able to get the quality that you need a, a, at this point. Correct, Fakiri? Yes, but Cuba may be about to become one of the most interesting case studies in LeapFrog. And that may be the case where technology that is available today and that is cutting edge is able to LeapFrog legacy systems that may have been installed in any other country because Cuba really doesn't have anything up to par with what American technology is there today. Sure. Uh, so we may actually be surprised. If anyone said Airbnb's fastest-growing market is Cuba yeah. six months back, yeah. we would all be laughing. So the next step is if all of a sudden Google is able to go into Cuba, work out a deal with the Cuban government, provide infrastructure, provide support, uh, provide a fiber cable between Havana and Key West, um, provide wireless Internet, if Facebook is able to get into the island and provide through their internet.org free internet, we may actually be very surprised as to what the Cuban ingenuity and the Cuban knowledge economy is able to accomplish and leapfrog versus legacy systems. Gentlemen, great to talk to you again. Thanks again for giving us a few minutes today. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.